0: Welcome to episode 127 of Doing the Work with Math and Black. If you are listening to this episode on the day that it comes out, then there are lots of cool things for you to see and do over the coming weeks. The first of which is New York Opera Fest. Yes, that's right. It is time again. Devotees of the show will remember that we had Peter Zepp, founder of New York Opera Fest, on the show a few months back. We didn't talk about the festival too much. We ended up going down rabbit holes all about the state of opera today and what we love about it and how it can be healthy and move forward in a good and positive way. To enrapture the hearts of our populace. But it's time again for the actual thing. OperaFest is a two month festival that highlights the work of independent opera companies all over New York. It ends up being more than 25 participants of all different sizes and lots of cool shows that you can go and see. Um, my, my best bet for that is to check in with their website at nyoperafest.com, where you can find all of your Opera Fest related information, keep up with the dates, locations, and what all performances are going to be happening there. The big kickoff performance is going to be at April or on April 29th at the Mark Scorka Hall at Opera America, and then goes all the way through June. So lots of great things happening there. If you want to keep your finger on the pulse of what's happening in the independent opera scene, that is a great way and a good place to do it. Plus, Peter is just a cool guy, so I like supporting any of the things that he has going on. Another cool thing, next week on Wednesday, May 1st, is a very cool um, cabaret sort of opera music theater performance by a good friend of mine, Christina Pecci. It's a concert that she's been doing all over the country. She's done it in Chicago, in Boston, here in New York a few times called Witches, Bitches, and Divas. And it has really grown. Um, my friends over at Opera Box Score did a big feature on her a couple months back and about this particular um, this particular show. We're actually in talks to have her on the show as well and be able to dig into all of that stuff. Um, that's how happening on May 1st at 7 p.m. at the Green Room 42 over on Manhattan. Christina is a spectacular musician. Um, she had a starring role in Chicago Fringe Opera's The Great God Pan, was that last March I think, and just knocked it out of the park. She's worked all over the country, uh, she's worked at the Lyric Opera of Chicago, just a spectacular artist and has a very very specific and interesting point of view and the music making is just killer. I'm gonna be there with Kate. We're gonna go see the show. It's gonna be awesome. So if you want to hang out, have a few drinks, and see some killer music, then that's a great place to do. Check out the Green Room Forty Two for tickets, and I hope to see you there. Also next week, um, starting on May second, which is next Thursday, New Camarada's New Camarada Opera's production of The Rape of Lucretia is finally going up. We've been talking about this for so long about Brittany Goodwin's design for this production, and uh, we hope to be having some conversations this weekend with some of the stars of that show so that we can highlight a little more of the work that New Camarada Opera is doing with all of you here. I'm going to be at that show as well, so go ahead and pop over to newcamerataopera.org to buy your tickets and we can hang out and have a lovely time. Doing the work with Math and Black is powered by Passion Planner. I talk about this all the time artists, craftspeople, hustlers, we need a way to keep all of our ideas organized and to keep our lives straight in ways that make sense, are tangible, and can be useful in uh, making something clean out of the mess of our brains. For me, Passion Planner has been that system for a long time, and I am now an official representative of the Passion Planner brand, which I consider a high honor and a very cool thing for many reasons. First of all, it makes me feel real good. Second of all, it allows me to pass some cool things on to you, the listeners of this podcast. Um, If you use the referral code that I have posted in the show notes of this podcast, you can get 10% off your first purchase of any Passion Planner uh, product. Um, I recommend the small size, which has just been uh, re uh, reintroduced through the Passion Planner website, and that is available for pre-order right now for their academic year calendars, which go from August to July, you could be saying, but Maffin, it's April. Why would I want to buy a new planning system right now? Well, first of all, whatever planning system you use is not as good as the Passion Planner system. Look, I don't want to talk uh, shade or anything, throw shade or anything, but it might very well be a true thing. And now is the perfect time to hop on board with a new academic planner running from 2018 to 2019. I know the word academic makes you think that it's lined up with a school year, and though that is technically true, this is the exact same layout as the traditional Passion Planner. It just runs from August. To July, I'm going to be switching over from my uh, pro size red planner over to a compact size, which has been my favorite A4, right around A4 size for a long time. So. If you're looking for something like this, if you're thinking about making the switch, I highly recommend popping down into the show notes, clicking on the referral link, popping over and making an investment in your future for something as cool that you know I love. I loved this product before I was affiliated with Passion Planner and it's just a really cool thing to see that happening now. This week, we have my dear friend, Matthew Gimmel on the podcast. I've been trying to have Matthew on the podcast for what seems like years. And you'll hear us talk a little bit about that. Matthew is a shy human, but he is a spectacular artist, incredibly funny, and such a good friend. Um, Matthew plays the piano, but is also an, like just an incredible collaborative pianist and a phenomenal music director. And it's been fun for me to get to know him over the years. We talk a little bit about this story, but I met him when he was music directing for the Lyric Opera of Chicago's Lyric Unlimited production of Jason and the Argonauts by Gregory Spears. I was covering in that production and that was my first work ever at the Lyric there in that building. I was very intimidated by the whole process and the amazing musicians we were working through. And with, and Matthew was just this amazing, calming presence. He was always so generous with his time and so kind with his words in a way that was truly helpful to me as an artist and endeared me to him forever. We would continue to work together on a few projects at the Lyric Opera of Chicago, and then also just became fast friends in the music scene. We did some recording work together, have done a few of those different sessions, and he's just a great person and a wonderful collaborator. Um We used him on a a recording project that I did last year with Ro Chakrian and a few other artists at Experimental Sound Studios. We will talk about this on the episode because it ended up being crazy. We had to cancel some sessions and then reschedule them. And not only was he a calming presence in the studio, but just like I've said so many times already, a spectacular human. While we were working on that recording project, Matthew had been thinking about going back to school and trying to figure if he wanted to do an artist diploma maybe a doctoral program, and one of the days that we were at the studio, he found out that he had gotten into both the Royal Academy of Music and the Guildhall School in London, ended up choosing to go study at Guildhall, and he Skyped in for this episode from his apartment in London. I'm not gonna spoil any of the stuff that we talk about in terms of what's happening in his life in London, because it's just absolutely amazing. He's getting to study with some of the top musicians in the field, he's getting to live in a world where where classical music is thriving and at the forefront of people's brains and then just the way he talks about the environment of art song over there is enviable and makes me quite jealous It's my hope that Matthew and I will be able to collaborate on a lot more projects in the future but as of right now I really enjoyed sitting down to talk about his life, about our relationship and the work that he's been able to do. I hope that after this episode all of you are giant fans of Mr. Gimel And I want you to keep your eyes out for the work that he has coming on in the next few years because he is going to be one of the greatest collaborative pianists of our generation if he's not already there. So please sit back, dig in, and enjoy episode 127, Doing the Work with Matthew Gimmel. Mr. Gimmel, oh (laughs) my gosh, it is so nice to see you. It's so great to see you. How are you? I'm doing great. Good. Oh, man, I can hear you wonderfully. I can see you wonderfully. That's so lovely. Okay, terrific. Yeah, and look at that haircut. <laughs> High and tight on the sides. Beautiful <laughs> and long on the top. Oh, this, man. This, this Turkish guy just did it for me this morning. So. <laughs> well, you're, you're all cleanly faded up. I love it. That's right. <laughs> Well, hey, let's just dig in and like okay. do this whole thing, and then we can catch up at the end. And like Great. depending upon how much time we actually have, because I I just have so many questions about you okay. and your life and everything that's been going on. I mean, it's okay. just so nice to see you. I was thinking this morning about the last time that we saw each other, which would have been last August when we were yeah, it was just before I left. Yeah, it was right before you left. Actually, I think we were in the studio when you found out that you got accepted to all the schools.
1: Yeah, yeah. That was we I that was like that that was in I remember that too. That was like in March, I think.
0: Yeah, that would have been in March and then we ended yeah. up having that crazy issue where we rolled up to the studio and they hadn't tuned the piano.
1: Yeah, and we're all like <laughs> And we had, like, we went out for breakfast, didn't we, or something else Yeah, we did,
0: and we tried to go to, like, three different breakfast places, and nobody was serving food at that time. And then we finally ended up having pancakes. Yeah, so what? That was you, me, uh, Rosha, and Cassidy Smith. Oh, we had pancakes and bacon, and it was lovely. And Rosha was so sad. Oh. So this is, this is actually a really funny story. I don't think I've ever told this on the podcast before. Um, so Rosha and I just did a residency at Illinois State working with our arts okay. technology department. This was like two weeks ago. So okay. actually, last week, we put up an, another interview for the podcast that he and I did together. That was really fun okay. talking all about that stuff. So the podcast listeners are, are used to our collaborations together and the work that we do. But one of the things we haven't talked about before is how terribly wrong things can go sometime. I want to hear your side of this story, and then I will interject some too. Oh,
1: okay. Gosh, I'm trying to think. We just did I just remember showing up. Uh-huh. And and everyone was kind of, you know, getting ready and and sitting down and playing a few notes at the piano and then immediately thinking Oh no. <laughs> and then and then and then and then, and then kind of going, well, I, I'm just not gonna i'm, just, I'm I'll you know because I, I I never want to cause I'm always the guy who who doesn't want to be causing problems or, controversies. <laughs> so I just kind of sat there going i i may, maybe I just won't say anything, <laughs> um but this piano is in, oh, it's not in good shape what 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 are we going and then and then, and then I remember uh you and Roche came in. And then I played just a few notes and he just like the look on his face just immediately changed from, you know, like, oh, I can't wait to get going to what on earth is happening. Yes. I can't believe I'm hearing. That's kind of what I remember. And then there was just a lot of sitting around because we called didn't we try to see if we could call a piano tuner? We we did. So
0: my, my favorite part about this story is that you start playing notes and everyone in the room freezes
1: okay is that how
0: yes but, but nobody says anything and so you're just playing a little bit and then i lock eyes with roche and he just goes on about his merry way and then you keep playing and then at a point i come over to the piano and i go pardon me matthew and then i start playing chromatic scales upwards and downwards and then finally no one is saying anything and i just look at the room and go this piano is not in tune and you go oh thank god you said it
1: <laughs> okay yeah, I remember I just remember like trying to avoid being the person who acknowledged well, like who would acknowledge what was uh, what was uh, uh, just an obvious and it wasn't it wasn't almost in tune.
0: Yeah, no, it <laughs> I wasn't. mean, it
1: was it was just out of tune. Yeah, it was yeah. just a mess.
0: And that's, um, that's the hardest thing with pianos, in especially in the recording situations, is like, you know, a lot of people don't realize, I mean, all all of the listeners to this podcast do, but you know, there's what, three strings for each note on the piano. Yeah. And if a single note is not in tune with itself, like, it's just completely just all all out of whack. And you can't, yeah. especially for recording purposes, you can't function in that. You know, your, your brain can kind of ignore some small tuning errors in live performances, but in the recording yeah. studio, it's crazy. Now, I mean, don't don't get us wrong. Experimental Sound Studios in Chicago is a spectacular institution, and the work they do is amazing. And they more than made up for it in our next yeah, session. They and absolutely- they tried their best to handle all those problems. But that was just terrifying how <laughs> all of that happened. And it was also crazy because... You and I had just finished work for Fellow Travelers at uh, Lyric Unlimited.
1: Yeah, we had just finished
0: it, hadn't like we? like two days before. So we were coming off of this ridiculously beautiful artistic experience, but we were all a little emotionally spent, and then ready Absolutely. to get into the studio and make work. And then we were just like. Okay.
1: Well, looks like we're rescheduling for August. <laughs> oh gosh! Yeah, that was what the end of March, early April. Yeah, that was in the end April. of March.
0: It was like two days before I flew back to New York, and then okay. we rescheduled for late August. Everybody rolled up to Chicago, and we were able to do all of that work. And then those those days in the in the studio were so special for me, Matthew. Which yeah, is, those. Are- the music was just great the collaboration was great and that that's sort of a theme of your and my collaborative work together is that we've taken time to build a a, like professional and creative friendship yeah that I'm always super super rewarded by so I, I can't believe we haven't had you on the podcast before this
1: yeah, it's a, it's crazy because we've <laughs> known each other for quite a
0: while now. Yeah, so I yeah, I can't actually remember how we met. Was it during Jason and the Argonauts? I think it may have been. I, yeah, I know that's the first time we had worked together, but I think I had like heard of you and knew of your work because of my relationship with Shannon McGinnis and some of yeah. the other pianists at Roosevelt as well. Mm-hmm. Now, when I was doing the diploma program at Roosevelt, were you
1: on the adjunct faculty there at that time? Let's see. I started teaching there, I think it was January of 2013.
0: Yeah, so we would have been there at the same time, though yeah. we didn't really overlap because I think I was there... Twelve like twelve to fourteen, I think, were, were okay. my, my two so years. So we barely overlapped there. then. So that that's how we sort of like got to know each other through working together at the lyric opera of Chicago. But yeah. you're you're a true Midwesterner and you had this whole like pianistic, beautiful artistic life before we got to know each other. You're from I guess so, yeah. you're from
1: Ames, Iowa. Did you always grow up playing the piano? Uh yeah, I did. I well, I mean I started in second grade. My sister had started a little bit before me she's Mm -hmm. a couple years older than me and uh i really was i remember being taken by hearing what she was doing
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and then wanting my parents to start me up and then i just started when i was eight in second grade and um i i just took to it a little bit more than i think anyone in my family ever um planned or had expected or maybe even had hoped for (laughs) um Uh, And and then I just ever since it because I I never I never once was in a position where um, I was forced to practice or I was, you know, people you know, people were imposing that discipline because I just from the start, I just that was where I felt at home. I was happy to go. There were lots of other places that I didn't feel at home. But i could go to the piano and that was that was where i wanted to be right so uh, and i i started just as a kid and just kind of went from there
0: yeah that's really lovely i i remember having those same kinds of feelings about playing the guitar when i was younger mm-hmm. and and it because that was such my experience i didn't realize how special that was that not everyone has that kind of relationship with practicing in certain places yeah. i mean i should have known that because i absolutely did not have that relationship with playing piano as a child and still to Today still have some trouble when it comes to singing practice, but sure. that that feeling of being at home in an instrument where you you're not having to worry about motivation and stress that's a really beautiful place for a child to be. Did did you find that you were just naturally bent toward it, like sort of one of the the hyper talented young brains when it came to that, or did you have to fight with those things through your enthusiasm? Um,
1: that's a good question. I mean, there were I guess there were maybe some things that. Um, That were challenging, but it was always uh, so much easier and so much more interesting than anything else that I was doing. I just I was I found the process of making the music and trying to learn things at the piano that was if even if there was a challenge and you know I um, I certainly had things that didn't come as easily, but those were still interesting for me to work out rather than say I don't know playing baseball Mm -hmm. where the things that i needed to get better at which was basically everything um (laughs) just was just it felt like this was never going to get better and i just want to be somewhere else (laughs) and good lord i am miserable on this field (laughs) Um, i know that same thing you know my baseball career did not last very long you know (laughs) Uh, but that you know, I think of that as as someplace where it, there was difficulty, and it was just no, this is not going to work.
0: Yeah, it, uh, it seems to be that that's the real key, especially for music for young people, is that yeah. finding the places in which the process is rewarding, not just the product being rewarding. That seems yeah. seems to be a real key to finding at least finding peace and happiness in the practice.
1: Yeah, and I would say, you know, I've noticed this in my own, you know, because I started teaching kids panel lessons um, when I was in high school. So I've done it for, I don't know, about 20 years now. And mm-hmm. I've thought about the students that have had a lot more facility or have been good at it or just wanted to do it. And it's, you know, in in some ways for them, it's actually figuring out uh, – um, the right sorts of challenges to give them yes so that they are working at it because for them the work is um uh is, is is interesting and fun and and a good challenge it's it's you know it's when it's uh the opposite then you're having to kind of deal with how to how do i make this easier for this person because that's the only way i'm going to get them to continue to do this, do the work, sit at the piano, that sort of thing, right?
0: Yeah, that is really interesting. I, I have started in the last year teaching guitar lessons to children. Right, yeah. Yeah, which which I'm learning the same thing. It's like the, the things that imbue our brains with excitement about music as adults are not the same things that imbue our brains with excitement although that's not technically true i mean they are just at different levels but finding ways in which to present a challenge that is appropriate to a person's level and interest that's how you have those stepping stones that may it's not about breaking things down into its smallest pieces because if the smallest pieces are still boring then who cares right it's about being a challenge i've I've actually been reading quite a lot these days days about like clinical psychology and motivation for the brain and mm-hmm. this, what the science and the research are telling us it seems to be that solving problems is where our actual brains find themselves most happy it's not in having the problem solved it's in the process of solving a problem that is not too difficult for you to solve but it's just the perfect amount of difficulty
1: yeah. I mean, in some ways, it's a little bit like, you know, that sort of thing, like on a much grander scale, like you do a show mm-hmm. and you've done the show and you're done. And then, like, for me, that's always like the most feeling of just being deflated Absolutely. and kind of spent. Yep. And then and it's 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 that like the the process of doing it. That's so exciting. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, there isn't often like a sense of, oh, I did it. We did it. Like, we've, we're have we done with the show. Hooray. Like, everyone's sad. <laughs> uh, and, like, in a different way, you know, it's like that once I've kind of solved something at the piano or something, it's like, oh, okay, now I need – I just – there's something else then that I want to do because I, I accomplished the thing. And I don't want to just continue to do that over and over again, if that makes sense. Oh,
0: it makes perfect sense. the The repetition of things, though there is a satisfaction in that – the tr- like the true excitement is the excitement of discovery there's this yeah. there's this amazing poem by walt whitman called beginning my studies um that's all about this very thing about how the first step awed me and pleased me so much that i've hardly gone or want to go any further it's it's like that yeah. that joy of discovery is so so intimately wrapped up in our musical practice as yeah. well man it's fun thinking about these things
1: so, yeah, it's, it's 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 just terrific. And I will say, like, I think that's something that it has I'm, – I'm more aware of it now as an adult uh, than I ever was as a kid, mm-hmm. right? Um, I just don't – I don't think I – you know, you're not as self-aware, I think, of those things when you're a kid. And then it especially changes your perspective when you – have to start teaching and then see that in, in your own students and, and then realize how I am also motivated in those same ways, you know, that in my relationship with my students, like I, you know, I have the same sorts of things, um, uh, in my own practice or in my, uh, own, uh, like just musical life. Yeah. So I find the exact
0: same situation yeah. happening in my practice as well and I find that those things start feeding upon themselves absolutely when, when I was younger I mean, you know you know this I've worked in restaurants for a really long time as parts of the side hustle with the musical world and for a long time I really recommended that to people I was like oh hell yeah go get a restaurant job make all that money but the older that I get the more I think you know it may be nice to rather than going and getting an extra musical job to start teaching yeah maybe the money's not quite is good maybe it may be a little more difficult to build that over time but the skills and the insights that are earned from living a life with your mind enraptured in the musical learning process i think that that may be even more valuable than anything else i wonder about that sometimes
1: yeah it's yeah and i I mean i'm not saying anything that you know anyone who has done any teaching is uh, says here but um uh let me say that one more time. I'm not seeing <laughs> do basically. Yes. Uh you know, but like the t- just the teaching is it's just it just deepens your own relationship with with the material, with the instrument, yes. yeah. the, the the music or cuz I I mean I've done all sorts of different teaching, uh coaching singers, teaching piano, um uh, uh teaching like a course in accompanying, so I've taught some music history courses in my life. Uh, all sorts of different things. And it always just, just changes very fundamentally your, your uh, uh, perspective, at least if you're doing it well.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You're what- figuring out what it is that you need to do and – What
0: were you gonna say oh i was gonna i was going to ask another question of you oh sure what do you see are the differences between teaching younger musicians versus the work that you've done with the universities and with coaching singers at a higher level of course there's a different level of sophistication there's a different level of cognition but what other patterns and relationships are you seeing there that might not be as uh, as immediately obvious
1: um, I mean, well, I mean, this is, this is the time when I don't make the joke about singers and children, right? <laughs> but, um, uh, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a actually really probing question that I haven't actually thought too much about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so let me think through this here. Um, I would say, I mean, with, it really depends on the kid with little kids. I mean, sometimes there's often just a lot more like extra musical sorts of considerations that you have to, you know, like what is their attention span? Which I mean, again, with adults, you know, there's attention span issues sometimes, but you know, with kids, sometimes it's, it's okay. I'm teaching, you know, Jimmy and you know, I, I can't get him to concentrate longer than two minutes on any given thing, you know? And so those sometimes kind of behavioral sorts of things, um, uh, are, are also issues that you just kind of have to figure out how to deal with. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, in some ways you also are much more intimately connected to parents. Right. (laughs) Uh, and that's, that is, uh, that's a, that's, that's another thing. Those are some kind of practical things where, um, you know, whereas, you can just assume a lot of times once you're working with adults that there's just the self motivation is there. And, and, um, there's also, I would say, um, just for a lot of adults, it's just, there's less, uh, that you can start to be more direct mm-hmm. in what the goal is. Um, I've taught, when I've taught, when I've taught, um, other ac- coach accompanists or, or young pianists about coaching, I've sometimes said when you're coaching, you always have two tracks in mind. You have what is the what is what is the product, what is the thing that I want to have happen, and what is the language that I'm going to use to get that to happen. Because mm. um, sometimes you can't just say I need you to do X and have that happen, right? There are all sorts of things. Um whether or not like I mean something as simple as uh if you there are certain you know singers who might if you just tell them I need more consonants or something like that you're just going to add a bunch of tension you're going to add or so so you have to figure out a way to communicate that without getting you know things in the way or sometimes just making them feel like they're not doing it right when mm-hmm. that's not really what's the issue and I would just say that with kids like that sort of like two tiered thinking uh, uh, is is even more complicated, (laughs) right? Yeah. Uh, It's because you just have – there are so many different ways – because kids think differently than adults, and they're motivated in different ways. And so to get them to do or to uh, accomplish what you need to accomplish, um, uh, you have a lot more of, okay, I need Jimmy to do this. I need him to figure out how to do this. I need him to figure out how to do this and not lose his concentration over the next 10 minutes. And so you are just always constantly dealing with those sorts of things. Um especially motivation, I'd say that's the big thing where with adults, you know, you don't have to also motivate them. Or sometimes you have to get the kids to concentrate and motivate, but it all depends on the student.
0: Yeah, I I think you're right about that. And even though there is an internal motivation, I think that there is a an emotional complication that comes into music at the higher levels that can maybe maybe supplant that level of just pure on motivation, which can be problematic. One of the things I do love about teaching young children is that they are not trying to hide their emotions from you and that's yeah. that's actually refreshing right I, it's so fantastic when when your student says i'm scared because i think i can't do this that's very it's easy to go well i think you can let's see what yeah. happens whereas when another student when a uh, when a you know undergraduate student spends 20 minutes talking about a poem that they feel connected to because they're scared they can't sing there's a level of of convolution in there that can be yeah. problematic
1: yeah, I would say as well now that you're you've brought some of those things up too like one other thing that comes to mind with uh, when I'm working with like college or graduate students um is that there's also you just you're dealing with like you're competing with a great many other teachers at that mm, point. Mm-hmm. Um and maybe competing is 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 not the right word because it sounds like we are, you know, in in a fight. You know, for to to win or something, mm-hmm. but you they, they they have been given all sorts of information from all sorts of different people. Sometimes even at two hours before um, about the same piece, um, and so the students are navigating um, all sorts of different things and trying to please all sorts of different people. Where it's a, in some ways with kids, it's you're often the only teacher they've ever had, uh, so. You don't have that that complication of dealing with it because especially like singers with technical sorts of things, yes. right? There's so many, there are so many voices that are going on in their mind. When, um,
0: when did the switch from functioning as like a, an independent absolute pianist into more collaborative vocal works happen for you? Oh.
1: You know that's interesting. I mean, I grew up singing, uh-huh. so I grew up. I grew up going uh, to churches and stuff that had a lot of choral singing yes. and stuff. That beautiful and Lutheran also, tradition. Yeah, and I, I just really enjoy. Like, it was always something I did. I sang all the way through college, um, uh, so in choirs. So that was always something I. 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 Um, the singing was something that I just enjoyed doing, mm-hmm. and I found myself even within piano music, often drawn to more lyrical sort of music.
2: Um,
1: uh, But then I also just, when I was already a teenager, just found myself really enjoying getting to work with other people, and I found it very stimulating to have someone else in the room with me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I um, just started to do that more and more. And by the time I was in college, it was just something where I found myself playing a lot, for singers and enjoying the work and i I mean when i was 19 20 i didn't actually even know what it meant to be a coach Mm -hmm. for singers um but i was working with them a lot and i enjoyed it and of course we were working together and i piped up and had had um input and stuff that I wanted to give. Um, and sometimes I found myself with with certain people who need, needed help in certain ways, you know, just providing it to them. Um, and so I just, it was something that I kind of slid into, knowing that I liked the work and I, that there were programs in graduate school that I could, um, uh, would allow me to specialize in that. Um, and so I, I started to kind of figure out what that looked like. But even when I was in my master's degree, I entered um, having classmates who already kind of knew what it was to, say, be an opera pianist or coach right. opera and what that looked like. And they were well beyond me and those sorts of skills and just even knowing. And I, I, at the time, still didn't really know what that was like, right? I mean, I was not uh, – it was in my second year of grad school when I first played a show, Really, well, you know, that was the first time I really did a full score, mm-hmm. and I had no idea what on earth I was doing. Uh, particularly <laughs> successful with it at that time, and I, I feel I'm, I'm getting, you know, figuring it out now. Ten, ten years later, uh, uh, so, but it was just something where I kind of just slid into it. But I, I just like the voices it's just it's just such a fabulous thing you know it's such it's 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 it, there's nothing more beautiful mm-hmm, to my yeah. ear um so that was something that i always found myself drawn to another thing that I, I would say is that i i am a very text and word oriented person just in all aspects yes, you know yes. of, you know my life i can uh, i can really talk I, I'm a big reader. Um, doing languages is something that was always just very interesting to me. And so uh, doing the coaching and accompanying was a, was, a, was a way for me to incorporate that into my music making um, because I was constantly dealing with text in the music. And I found that really stimulating and exciting and, and fun.
0: Yeah, I think that is really stimulating and exciting and fun. And you have always been an inspiration to me in that work about not getting wrapped up in my own technical situations or the technical musical demands of the music that we've made together. And you're yeah. always like like a, a North Star remi- remembering to bring everything back to textual communication and the blending of those two things. Yeah, exactly. And, and sometimes you do that very insistently. And sometimes you do that just by like us being at lunch and you giggling over German words. Like, you know, <laughs> Those both of those things help to remind me to go. Oh yeah, this is fun and funny. Let's yeah. imbue it with that kind of language and text work.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's that's just it, 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 that's just what my ear always goes to first yeah. for whatever reason, mm-hmm. right? Not every coach is like that, but for me, that's kind of where I where I start. Yeah, because you know,
0: I do think that is something very special about you that I have appreciated and benefited for for a long time. So your yeah. your undergraduate degree, was it in piano performance?
1: It was in piano performance. Where yeah. did you get that degree? I was uh, That was at Wheaton College, west of Chicago.
0: Yes, that's right. That has that beautiful yeah. new uh, performance facility that we've recorded in together.
1: Yeah, and, and they're building, I've seen some pictures uh, since I've moved here to London. Uh, just this last fall, they uh, tore down a building right next to that facility and dug, dug a big hole. And uh, they're building a concert hall.
2: Oh, really? As well.
1: so yeah that's that'll be exciting when that gets open that'll be another year or two i can't remember what the timeline is but
0: that's going to be a yeah. spectacular place for performance now because the that recital hall that we recorded with uh, christina backrack in that was yeah. such a beautiful space and if they get a killer concert hall in there that's going to be awesome
1: yeah it's 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 going to be great they've been wanting it for a long time mm-hmm. so they were just you know they were wanting it when i was a student there desperately and it's you know 15 years later and and they're finally getting it so that's
0: killer so you did piano performance at wheaton and then you went to michigan for your master's
1: yeah i did i spent two years in ann arbor
0: was that Uh, a collaborative uh, piano degree
1: yeah it was collaborative piano um i mean most people who go there uh uh because we all you know you you go there to study with martin katz Mm -hmm. who is uh well respected in the field overall, but is is his career was in opera and playing for singers and things. Yeah, you Yeah, know? that, that's a very
0: yeah. high level and highly, I mean, prestigious, well regarded university and program. So that's yeah. super super cool to be involved with that. And it's it's fun to think about you being able to to function there at a high level because of your skill set, even outside of living in that world of opera coaching and piano. I mean, yeah. I, can, I can imagine all the other pianists there who are like, oh well, I did this summer program and I did this summer program and you're like, "Hi, I'm just great and I'm from Iowa. Let's hang out." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I so, do I do have this image like of that, you yeah. functioning at such a high level there but still <laughs> feeling a little fish out of watery, which is kind yeah. of deliciously beautiful to my to my narrative storytelling. But you you spent 2 years there doing the program and this is where things get a little fuzzy for me. What happened once you finished there?
1: Well, I when I finished, I wasn't sure what um, what exactly I wanted to do, I it was a very intense two years yes. for me, and also just for a lot
0: things. of people. I, I know that uh, that's not the easiest degree program in the world.
1: Yeah, it was. It was a very intense two years. It was very intense, just personally for me for some things, and it was very intense musically, very demanding. Right, and I just wasn't sure. I did. I wasn't sure at the time. Is this? Do I really want to do this? Do I want to pursue this? What? What exactly? Um, is it that I, I want to do next? And for me, it was, uh, it was, uh, I was pretty sure I would at some point go back to school. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, but wasn't exactly sure how or when or where. And, um, and since I had done my undergraduate degree west of Chicago, it just seemed to make sense because I had so many contacts there to just move back to that area. Uh, and move in with some friends and just send out a bunch of emails and see what happened.
2: Yeah.
1: And, um, and so that's what I did. And, um, I came back and I started with all sorts of, you know, just anything, (laughs) you know, (laughs) um, the, you know, if someone wanted to hire me to play anything, I was, I was there (laughs) and, um, and you know, I did that and, and fairly quickly, uh, you know, I, um, Started to to kind of get myself established. By the time I was in my second year back, I Wheaton had hired me as an adjunct to do some teaching there. So I was starting to teach some classes there, and I did that for I think eight or nine academic years. Mm-hmm. Um, and started to just get to know the scene. I mean, it takes a long time, but I you know I, I so I started to get to know people. I started to um, develop a you know fairly sizable um, piano studio of my own and and just started to kind of just do it um, always with that idea that okay at some point I think I want to go back to school um, but wasn't sure and that turned into a decade basically much longer than I ever expected.
0: Well, you, uh, I mean, you became such an established collaborator in Chicago with sure. high-level institutions and other individuals as well that I can imagine it would have been hard to have, have left that. Um, <laughs> when when did your relationship with the Opera of Chicago start?
1: Let's see. That was, uh, I worked with them for a couple of years. The first thing I really did with them, although I had had some friends, um, passed through the Ryan Center Mm -hmm. uh, before that, so I had sometimes kind of been backstage and seen them, kind of met some of the people. Um, But they first hired me for Jason and the Argonauts.
2: Oh, I didn't know
1: that. That was my first show with them, too. I didn't realize we did that together. So so, um, I had, and that was what, fall of... Was that twenty sixteen? Oh, who knows? There's 16th, I cannot 17th? I can barely keep track of what day it is today. You
0: think I can remember uh, what season that was? <laughs> it was a couple of years ago. It I was a that couple of sure. years
1: ago. Yes. Uh, and <laughs> um and yeah, so I I did that and I just I just suddenly it was I just loved doing the work there. Yeah. Well, and let's um, be clear.
0: Yeah. So you were hired to musically direct one of the shows and and to accompany for Lyric Unlimiteds. Uh, main stage performances and the opera in the neighborhoods tour.
1: That's right. So that, that was, we had, uh, that was Jason and the Argonauts, Mm -hmm. which they had, uh, commissioned, um, and, uh, terrific children's piece. I absolutely loved that piece. And we did, um, we did a workshop, uh, in May. I can't remember. Were you there for the workshop? No,
0: I wasn't, I was hired on to cover for the performances later in the year.
1: Okay, so Greg Spears, Greg uh, came and he, we kind of brought in. It was scored for four instruments: harpsichord. I played harpsichord and, mm-hmm. and three string players, and um, and then we had our four uh, singers, four principals, and we kind of ran the show and figured things out. And then he uh, made a bunch of revisions. There was a big chunk that got axed, uh, and really, you know, other what things, was it? Things. There was there was there was a bit towards the end. Uh, uh, I think it was um, around somewhere around in in the Calcas area. Uh-huh. I can't remember <laughs> for sure. I'd have to look. I, I actually think I still have the that original score. Oh yeah, from the workshop. I could look. Um, uh, there were bits. I think it was a lot of like trimming down, and some of the like the larger kind of choral-ish numbers where all four singers were yes. singing.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: that that just those those things were streamlined a little bit, and so we workshopped it, and then and then we put it up. Let's see. I guess we did it over the summer that year,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then and then did per, did the premiere performances at the end of August. Mm-hmm and then uh mothballed it for like uh, two months and then put it up again in a week and then took it on a five-week tour that was a blast
0: oh that was so much fun i, I was very fortunate to be there for the that that final rehearsal process the big form rehearsal process yeah. and then i got to go on a couple of times which, well, you was, did, yeah. which was super fun that I, I really love those tour environments because i feel like even doing scorpion sting the next year with you that's like how our relationship really deepened when you're doing. two performances a day three days a week out in some school in the middle of nowhere in illinois you really get to know each other about your allergies and hey when you're answering questions at the end to children you really get to know how the other people are going to (laughs) act under those situations
1: no it's just it's great i love those tours and the thing that i love about those tours too is it's it's just you get to you get to know the show so well so well Um, I think both of those pieces, because we did the next year, we did Scorpion Sting. Mm -hmm. I think both of those pieces, I could probably just sit down and with the score, just do it. Oh, 100% I I,
0: I could. I could probably do Scorpion Sting off book right now. And maybe, maybe even Jason, Jason was, was very difficult. The music was very difficult, but so much of it was so beautiful. I mean, I I think we were even still making jokes during fellow travelers about how beautiful the music from Jason, the Argonauts was.
1: And Jason, it was one of those things too, especially that, especially that score was one. And this is a real compliment to Greg, Mm -hmm. uh, what he put together. And, and Catherine is his librettist too. Uh, Just that, Uh, It was one of those things where, you know, I've done I've done tours where I've done the same show, you know, so many times, blah, blah, blah. And you you just get to a point where you just are kind of sick of it. And it's just this thing. But that show just was always a joy. I never agree. You know, it may have been the second I may have just done the whole thing 75 minutes before. And I don't think I ever sat down. Uh, going oh gosh i have to do this thing one more time It was here we go yeah this is gonna be fun oh it's super uh, true
0: and I, I wonder sometimes about that a lot I, I wish there were there were ways to share some of these works that um that lyric unlimited does because w- one of the things i love about them is that they're not doing the you know a, a three little pigs version of notes di Figaro or they're not doing yeah. you know the big bad wolf version of the magic flute for the things they're making vibrant new works of like True musical exploration. And having composers like Dean Burry and Greg Spears to do those things make these yeah. little these little children's operas beautiful, staggering works of art. I, I love that about yeah. Lyric Unlimited.
1: And it's it's great because it, it means that you're also not talking down in some ways to the yes, to the kids. Absolutely. Right? Um and you you're not presenting them something that is Like a fake Mm -hmm. version of of something, of of the real thing. You're just presenting them with with an actual a piece of of opera. Um, that's you know forty five minutes because it has to fit in their their school period. The bell schedule, (laughs) (laughs) you know, say the bell doesn't ring, or perhaps a fire alarm. Do you remember that?
0: (laughs) I do remember the fire alarms. Oh, I remember that school. That was a beautiful auditorium, but oh my gosh, just absolutely ridiculous. Uh, the the, the oh joys my. of going on tour. I, I wish uh, okay. there were but, uh, more things like that in our in yeah. our operatic world. I remember speaking to some of the old guard singers like Richard Stilwell and Alan Glassman, who had been able, like Alan in particular, did the Metropolitan Opera tour all across the United States when okay, he was yeah. younger. And about the the kind of skill level that that builds in you, just that sort of repetition that you don't find mm-hmm. that opportunity a lot anymore as a singer or as a as a pianist or an instrumentalist in those ways. I, I kind of wish uh. that that existed.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just a pity too that those companies don't aren't able. Yeah. In some ways, you know, and you know why, and if if that's actually true is is a different discussion, but um, they you know they aren't able or choose not to um to do those tours anymore, mm-hmm. uh, and so those opportunities aren't. Um, uh, it's just harder to get that sort of work and to have that sort of experience with a show.
0: I think you're right. And I think a lot of it is just about the financial ramifications of those things, but also yeah. the um, like the response from the public. I mean, I remember you know hearing stories of the Metropolitan Opera Tour used to go to all of these beautiful opera houses in all these small towns that maybe those opera houses don't exist anymore. Maybe the public response isn't quite what it was once. It's just a different time. I, I don't know that it would ever be appropriate again to have that kind of thing, but what a beautiful chunk of our history.
1: Yeah. And I, I guess there is, I mean, it's they still get out, like the Met at least. I mean, they even, I didn't even realize this. They even, you know, their HD broadcasts go all over the place. Yeah. I was talking to some people a few weeks ago who actually went to an HD broadcast uh, here in London. Yeah, really? I didn't, really? Uh, I didn't re- realize that um, they, what was it I said? I think they had seen Valkyra. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Weeks ago. Yeah, they, they saw that here. I think it was still live too. Oh yeah. Uh,
0: that that technology is spectacular. I remember when that first came out, I was still living in Arkansas. And so like the first operas I was ever really able to see happen live were in the movie theater because I didn't have access to that kind of thing. And that that is a it's a different new thing. But I mean the Royal Opera House does their live streaming as well. There's a lot okay. of a lot of large opera houses that are starting to do the live streaming thing. And I think that may be filling that chunk of of the of the world in terms of its technological advancements. I I don't I'm not quite as nostalgic for it, but it is a beautiful thing.
1: Yeah. And it is a it is also just a a fundamentally different experience. Yes. Um although although I should say that um for me that's a merely theoretical thing because I've actually I've never been to a Met HD broadcast. Matthew really? I have never been. So um I uh I wish I could say it was on some uh, uh, you know, principle or something that, <laughs> you know, I, I just, but, uh, but that's just not the case. I just have never gotten, gotten myself to one. Um, uh, yeah. But it just, it, I, 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 you know, everyone I say, you know, it just, it is, it's a fundamentally yeah. different thing um, when you're there in the theater and you're on a screen and you're hearing it through a speaker.
0: Yeah, I'm going to uh, give you the top two reasons to go to the Met live in HD performances. Okay. Skittles and beer. Oh sure, yeah. Okay. It's kind of the best thing ever. Like the first time I went to a movie theater to watch one, where you could get like popcorn and skittles and a hot dog and beer and a Dr Pepper. It was like, oh yeah, Jesus. this was for me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's true. It's a, it is different than uh the you know, than what they allow at the. Um at, at the, the actual the, opera uh, house, right? I, I, <laughs> although I was at a show at, at English National Opera this last fall, and I remember people had glasses of wine mm-hmm. in their seats, and it was yeah, you know, that was strange for me because um, that's, that's a little bit. Uh, I I haven't been to. I don't. I can't think of an American house where they let you just bring a glass of wine into yeah. the
0: it's super lame even at the lyric you can drink in the uh, like in the lobby areas during intermissions and they're pretty smart you can you can pre-order your drinks for the next intermission which is okay. lovely. But I don't understand. I mean, you know, when we started Chicago Fringe Opera, like the whole point of that opera company was, all right, we're going to put on good works and you can get drunk while they happen. Absolutely. Actually, it's better if you do get drunk while they happen. It's just a a fundamental difference in philosophy.
1: Yeah. You know, I think that I think the early music folks should should introduce that cuz that would also that that was performance practice. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I mean, let's be honest. If you're gonna go for historical performance, let's go the whole way and have yeah. dinner and drinks and yeah, everything. That sounds lovely. Yeah.
1: Let me play my chess game during during the uh, in my box during the show. <laughs> I'm
0: gonna hang you know? out with my mistress for a while, so yeah, yeah just keep, exactly. keep the sound down a little bit. I need to pay exactly. attention. <laughs>
1: yeah, like let's let's keep the lights up, you know, and let people go and put sawdust down. I don't know. Um, <laughs>
0: I think the sawdust is really what sells it. That's the point of historical practice that really needs to be added to all of our opera houses. And then there's a whole new industry. The people who collect the sawdust, the people who clean up afterwards. Yeah, I really think we just figured out how to revitalize the opera industry. It's all about sawdust.
1: Yeah.
0: So you've got to tell me about what's going on now, because the last time we hung out, you had just gotten accepted to a bunch of music schools and had finally mm-hmm. decided on going to Guildhall, and you moved. Yeah. You moved your ass to London. I did. I moved to London, and you've uh, just you've I, just completed your first year, right?
1: Uh, I'm just about done. Well, their their school year looks at, is 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 different. It's kind of different. Like they do three terms here, so I'm mm-hmm. on. The Easter break, mm-hmm. and so there is a there's a summer term that starts at the end of this month, mm-hmm. that technically goes through actually through I think early July. Okay, but it's strange because there actually isn't a whole lot happening at the school, mm-hmm. uh, but I do have some stuff in May and June. Um, but I'm nearing the end of my first year at the Guildhall School of Music and Drama here That's in London.
0: So amazing! First of all, as a friend, I'm so proud of and excited for you, and I want to hear everything.
1: Oh gosh, I don't even know where to start. I mean, what, I, what questions do you have? I, I, I would say I just like never. It, it was. It took me a long time uh, when I first got here. You know, I'd wake up in the morning and then just kind of go, Matt, you're in London. Like you're living in London. I, I the thing that was the weirdest in the in the trip over here was when I bought my plane tickets mm-hmm. because I bought a one way ticket. Ah! yeah that's you that's know, really weird the to the uk and you have no return date yeah um it's it was just so strange um but i mean I, london is just such a fantastic town i i still sometimes even just walking uh, you know out, out, out of my place this morning you know it was just this gorgeous london day and um and I still sometimes kind of pinch myself going, I can't I can't believe this is where I'm living right yeah. now. Um, it's yeah, it's it's a great town. It's a great town. It's a how, great place.
0: How has it been like living there compared to living in the in the states? Have you found it difficult to navigate or are you just having an absolute kick ass blast?
1: Uh, I'm just having a fun time, honestly. I mean, I I have joked, you know, I mean, I was I I mean, I lived a little bit in the burbs, but I was basically in in, around Chicago for, you know, 10 kind of 15 years, honestly, with the two years in Ann Arbor taken out. Um, uh, And so I've moved from one very large, pretty cosmopolitan Anglophone city to another Mm -hmm. very large cosmopolitan international city. So, you know, I've joked, uh, like when I go into a, a, a trendy coffee shop here in my neighborhood, Stoke Newington, uh here in london um you know they're you know they're selling you know people are wearing the same things and you know <laughs> like there's there's kombucha on the yes. it looks just it looks just like a trendy coffee shop in lakeville uh, <laughs> uh in chicago so uh like in some ways that is that transition i mean there are things that were Kind of stressful or weird about the transition, just like dealing with like the bureaucracy is different yes. and, and you know those sorts of things, um, and it is a foreign country, um, but nonetheless, it's 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 not like I, in some ways I think it would have been a bigger transition to move to, I don't know, some small town in rural Idaho or something I, like I that. I hear
0: right? you. I totally understand that. Um,
1: okay. uh, just because it's just a diff, it's it's there's so much overlap with kind mm-hmm. of what the experience is here in London from uh, like a big American city, especially a place like Chicago or New York uh, or Boston maybe, but, you know, especially those sorts of cities. Um, So, I mean, that transition wasn't hard really at all in Mm -hmm. some ways. Um, uh, The weirdest thing was just being back in school.
0: Yeah. How has that (laughs) felt? What's that been like after a decade or so?
1: It's, I mean, it's, I mean, it's, I do, it's funny. I feel the age difference with my classmates. I'm not sure they notice it as much yes uh i also read a lot younger than i am yeah for whatever for better or for worse You're just too handsome. Uh, you know, it's a real problem uh, i i you know i i was having i had a bunch of um uh singers ask me to play in this competition uh this spring and i actually had several of them say um, oh, and you can comp- you can compete for the pianist prize mm-hmm. if you like. You'd be eligible. I mean, the age limit's twenty eight, <laughs> um,
0: and you're seventy six I mean, years
1: old. It's a real problem. I, you know, I, yeah, it's just like that's oh fantastic. You know <laughs> that is that's that's I am so flattered by that. Um, I think for me the like the the biggest thing with like the. It, being back in school is just how different my perspective is. Right. Um, I mean, they they um the standards are just wonderfully high at Guildhall, especially with the singers. Because yeah. They're just fantastic. It's just a fantastic school for singing. I'm really pleased to be around all of that. Um, but it is interesting, just what. What seems important, mm-hmm. and and what what is actually important? Because um, when you're you you have so many demands placed on you as a student, and you know there's a, a recital or there's like a small competition internally in the school and other things, and I find myself kind of being sometimes like a crotchety old guy, sometimes just like, well, that doesn't really matter, you know, <laughs> no one's going to care about that in five years, you know, um, yes, but. You know, I have classmates for whom these things they hadn't they haven't been out professionally, they haven't had those experiences, and so you know that's just their next thing. Um, where for me, it's a it's a little different. Those things aren't bad. Um, those internal things that are happening in the school, but I'm also have a little bit of perspective of uh, whether or not in the long term those those really matter or not, or how much they matter. Right. Yeah, that, that makes and a I'd lot of sense.
0: So what what kind of things are you studying? And and what's the degree program that you've actually gone back for?
1: I'm doing an artist diploma. Hell yeah. uh, Which is just terrific. It basically means I get to do what I want at the school. (laughs) Uh, uh, I don't have very many specific requirements. Mm -hmm. So I just get a lot of lessons. Oh, that's lovely. And then I can kind of opt in and out of various projects that I want. And I've gotten to do some really fantastic stuff. Like what? Um, well, I mean, first of all, I just have my lessons. Mm-hmm. Um, I have – the nice thing with doing the, the Art Dip, and it's a two-year program, uh, is that it's uh, – like I, I – they give you freedom with the people you're studying with. So I, I have three people that I'm working with. Oh, wow. Uh, so I, I spend quite a lot of my time with this wonderful man named Eugene Asti, uh, who's uh, an American and then came over here to England to study accompanying – uh, at, at, Guildhall actually. And, um, well, a while ago, I don't think Eugene would necessarily want me to say uh, <laughs> and, exactly, but it was, it was a while ago and now he's just, he's just been here working and he, you know, he, he's performing, he's in all the big festivals, um, and, and then the, in the halls, you know, he was, did some stuff at the Wigmore, yeah, uh, this exactly. last fall. He's, he's, you know, he's in that scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and so I see him a lot. Um, And then I also um, see uh, Julius Drake, who probably needs less of an introduction. Oh, wow. Um, And Ian Burnside, who also probably doesn't need uh, that much of an introduction. So I get to see them. Holy um, shit, Matthew. (laughs) Uh,
2: Was that uh, one of uh, the
1: reasons you wanted to go to Guildhall? Yeah, I was one of the things that was that that was really attracted to me. I was here in London a, a, for a big competition 2015.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: A song competition. And I was just really impressed with the song singing of the people who had trained here in London. Right. Um and you know, it's the, the, the you know, when you when you hear people in America, when you hear the best people doing recitals, it's terrific, right? But there's it's there's less of an emphasis, I'd say, Absolutely. Right? I, I, um, and it's kind of a funny circle, you know, people say, uh, well, there's just no work so in in recital, so they don't, you know, focus on as much of that in the training and other things. I don't know. All I know is that, you know, it's it's less central. Yes. Uh, yes. Where I knew here in London there is a lot of song recital work that is happening, and in the training and the conservatories, all three of the big conservatories here in London, the Academy, the College, and Guildhall. Just song is a really central um, uh, part of the training. And it's not seen as strange or even kind of quixotic to want to do just that. Um, And so I wanted to be at least for a few years in an area, where, in a place, in a city, in a country um, where that was heavily emphasized because that was something I really loved to do. Um, so that was one of the reasons. And I get to work with people here. I mean, there are people in America who do a lot of recital work, um, but basically all of the pianists who do it and do just recital work with singers exclusively all live here in London or there are a few in Germany. Right.
2: Yeah, that's true.
1: And those are the people I'm getting to work with.
0: That is so spectacular. So are are you spending any time with the opera literature, literature or is most of what you're doing all about song?
1: Um, uh, a lot of my projects and uh, uh, my own lessons is are those are both pretty much exclusively uh, song That's stuff. Divine. Um, I have, I have. They very quickly figured out that I had done a lot of um work. They uh, here in, in London, a lot of the students would just a lot of people call it repping that uh-huh. I would work worked as a repetitor, which yeah. is. I'm in mean, some ways very rightly seen as just a completely separate skill.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so they figured out very quickly that I had those skills. I mean, I spent this last summer as an apprentice at, uh, Maryland. So, you know, I had, yeah. you know, I had just come out of a thing where I would basically been playing opera for three months and just mm-hmm. opera at a completely
0: um, high level.
1: Uh, I guess so. Yeah. I mean, I, I <laughs> take the compliment, bro. <laughs> I won't speak for myself, but yeah, some of the people that were pretty damn good. And, um, uh, I um, uh, So they figured out pretty quickly that I could do it And that I do like doing it yeah. a lot And so I do play Some stuff quite a bit um, I'm playing uh, Guildhall got me to play for Their third year undergraduates Are are doing a little potted Figaro oh, uh,
2: yeah.
1: And so I've been playing all the rehearsals for that And that's I'll play cool. for those performances And that's great, I get to keep the show in my fingers mm-hmm. Um uh, and And stuff like that and then i'm i am i am playing all the time uh in people 's lessons yeah. and things, and they are doing guildhall's a great school for opera, so those singers are are singing a lot of opera in their lessons and i'm playing um, and i'm playing I, I find myself as well accompanying a lot of coachings and stuff That's for cool. students That's when cool. they have that so um so yeah, I have that um projects that i've got to do i mean it's just been great. I got to do a a project where we did a bunch of debussy Verland settings oh. I did a project where um, uh, Michael McMahon, who's just this fantastic Canadian Mm -hmm. song pianist, he teaches at McGill, came here and was here here in residency for a little over a week. And I did did a bunch of American songs for him. I did a project where we did a bunch of Heine settings Mm -hmm. by various German composers. Um, I'm going to do, um, in May, in the next term, Judith Weir is coming – uh, for some, uh, concerts and we're we're presenting, I think just about all of her vocal chamber music over a period of several concerts. And so I'm going to get to work with her, um, for that. Um, I'm doing, in fact, I was just rehearsing with some, with, with an ensemble for, uh, one of those pieces, uh, this afternoon. So there's just so much going on at Guildhall and Guildhall's wonderful, where there, there's a lot of openness to new music and other things as well there. Um, so uh, I'm getting to do all sorts of different things, um, and then just playing for for singers and developing relationships with some really fine singers there. So that's been a lot of fun
0: that's so cool man like that's the exciting stuff where you're in a hub and in proximity to great art being made because not only are you deepening your skills and your knowledge but you're also getting to be a part of a living breathing thing that is helping to keep the art form moving growing changing evolving i i love that so much
1: yeah. It's really exciting. And it's also just exciting. There's so much happening here in London.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I mean, there are several major orchestras, uh, you know, two really major houses, opera houses. Um, there's the Wigmore Hall, um, which, I mean, gives so many concerts. I mean, just, I don't even know, a year, probably well over a hundred, you know, a hundred, yeah. 200. I can't remember, I mean, there, there's something there just about every day, yeah. sometimes twice a day. And, the top people chamber music song all sorts of different things right um so i get to go to concerts there a couple weeks ago i saw one i saw my teacher julius perform with sarah Connolly. give a oh Beat.
0: my god
1: uh they did uh some Linsky songs mm-hmm. and some uh and some schumann mm. Uh, some late Schumann that's not done. And then the very fabulous uh, Virginia Woolf settings of Argento.
0: Oh. Um, can I just come beautiful... live with you for a while? Like, sure, is there come. space on your couch? I'll bring a sleeping no, yeah. bag. We'll we just come and do work. all the things.
1: So, I mean, that's and so that's just, you know, that's just constantly happening. Um, there's so much happening. And it's just so great to have that around. Right yeah I, I that's
0: I mean first of all I'm a little jealous but secondly it's just so beautiful to see you thriving in such a cool vast. Um, environment where where the arts are valued so much in such an old and new way it's like it's part of the culture there which i really appreciate
1: it is very much part of the culture here in a ways where you know classical music i you always feel like you have to make a defense for it in america Mm -hmm. and it's it's fine you know like that's just kind of where things are and it's i find i think very easy to make a defense for it so i'm not i'm not bothered by that Mm -hmm. but that is kind of it is it's sometimes seen as this odd thing or even sometimes this foreign thing yes um even though it isn't um but here it's just very deeply like you said part of the culture um it's it's there's so much of it happening and Um, it just is, there's kind of a value placed on it, assumption of value where I don't really find like I have to make the defense. Um, it could just be the circles where I'm, where I am, you know, I am, you know, spending most of my time in a, in a major conservatory here. Hanging out with Julius Um,
0: Drake. Yeah. uh (laughs)
2: Uh-huh.
1: But nonetheless, it's still, it's still, it's, you know, there's just it feels like there's, there's less of it. Um, And in fact, in some ways, when I've met people outside of, uh, you know, the Guildhall world or the music world, uh, when I've had places, there's almost there is a respect given to to some to myself and to some of my classmates, you know, oh, you're classical musicians Um, uh, where they're just that's that's seen as as a kind of a noble pursuit. Yeah. Oh, that's Uh, very cool. And so that's that's it's in some ways it's almost disconcerting because <laughs> I'm not used to that. You know, usually I'm, I'm in America. I, I usually have to uh, you know make some um, uh, answer some awkward questions about my finances or something when I say <laughs> I, I'm a classical musician, right? Uh, yes, we're th- we're those familiar. Those are the next questions. So. Um, so you yeah, have. Of course, I mean, what else do you want to know? I, well, I don't know. You've
0: got one more year here in terms yeah, of the, in terms of finishing the program. What are you starting to think and dream about for what you want to do with with your musical influence once you leave?
1: That's a really good question. I mean, I wouldn't mind finding an excuse to stay here for another few years. Uh-huh. I don't know if I want to be here. I mean, London is is horribly expensive yeah Uh, so um you know in in, in, you know it's it's it would be hard to to make things work long term here although i guess i could you know give it a whirl but um i don't know i would like i'm i feel like i'm learning a lot i would love to try to be here a little bit more i don't know if i could maybe explore other options with schooling or try to get into a young artist program here or Mm -hmm. something like that or or just apply for an artist visa and um, uh, work up some of the contacts that I've made through yeah. Guildhall. Not sure. Um, there are, I know, some people who have uh, are not from the UK um, who have made that work relatively recently, where yeah. they just kind of yeah. stayed. And so, I mean, those those are some options. I've thought about maybe either looking at things on the continent, trying to find a house gig possibly in Germany, yeah, or. Maybe study in Germany or just find like a year long program somewhere where I could do some study, maybe in Sweden or Finland or something as well. I'm not sure. Um, the other really likely possibility, because I did enjoy the teaching that I did so much Um, around chicago is to go back to the u.s yeah do a dma there
2: yeah and do Uh,
0: something to do like faculty at a university or something along
1: those yeah yeah try to get along you know at least i mean in my field it's it's even the prospects of getting a full-time tenure track sort of position are even worse than
0: than opera teachers uh,
1: most people's fields which Mm -hmm. are still there you know um there are, you know, most people, you know, it's tough, yeah. you know, the chances are low. It's even lower in my field because there are just so few positions. Yes. So yes. I don't necessarily have hope that that would work out, although that would be lovely if it did. <laughs> but if I could be like in a major city and do that some of the time Yeah. and then, and then do my freelancing and other things, that would be another option. So I'm just trying to keep up my options. I know that having had the time over here, um, and having some of the connections I've made here um, that will uh, be really helpful for me if I go back to America. I guess there is the possibility of doing doctor uh, doctoral work here,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, but it looks very different. Um, they are much—if um, you do a doctorate here in music, um, and they do offer things—I think, think they call them Dimas, mm-hmm. D— us it's still very much a research sort of thing so you don't really do much performing and going into applying for the degree you have a research proposal Mm -hmm. that you do Uh, you're looking into songs of you know particular person or you're you're wanting to research um uh, look into some science you know if you're a singer or something some aspect of what the what the medical research is saying about certain things with the yeah. with the votes and things and how that might affect pedagogy you know, those sorts of things you are doing that's 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 what you're doing and that doesn't totally translate into the american academic world right uh, for for music and so that's something i would have to take into consideration um, plus i mean just as well uh it's a lot harder uh american institutions you're a lot like to do doctoral work you're just more much more likely to get full financing mm-hmm, and right. things, that's that's a lot different more difficult it looks different here
2: yeah.
1: uh, i don't know if i want to have to deal with that it might be easier just to if I can, go someplace where I have an assistantship, so.
0: Well, you have such a fine musical mind on top of the skills that you have earned through your years of work, that I know whatever you do, you're gonna be such an asset to the people that you work with. But it's so cool to hear you talking about all of these different options and possibilities for the kinds of music that you wanna make and the way you wanna impact the world. I mean, I one of the reasons I respect you so much is because of those things, but you're also just, you know, a bro and a great dude <laughs>
1: <laughs> so it has been really interesting along these lines talking about the academic thing too mm-hmm. just to see slight differences in how things are taught here right i mentioned this earlier like there's a at, at all the big conservatories there's just a separate uh course yeah for uh for opera pianists and that's just taught and seen as a completely different skill so i've actually met some people who have actually completed master's degrees at one of the big conservatories here in london Mm -hmm. in accompanying and have never done any opera playing really um even down to they've since for whatever reason they haven't done lots of uh, lesson accompanying Mm -hmm. they haven't Mm -hmm. even really played that many arias
0: so they don't really Uh, even know the literature because it's completely yeah
1: So they don't know the literature, and then they also just haven't been taught um, uh, the skills. What 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 it's like to, to be the orchestra. What mm-hmm. how that pianism is different. Um, what what is different about that experience? And in some ways, that's healthy. I kind of appreciate that because those are actually very different skills, yes. and sometimes they get a little. Um, uh, confused mm-hmm. in, in, in America because you're just doing both things at once and, and things and those distinctions aren't made that would be helpful to be made um, uh, but it also is interesting just because they're so separate uh, and seen as such separate things uh, that sometimes there's a almost excessive sort of specialization that happens here um, at least from my American perspective mm-hmm. yeah I see that uh, uh that that happens um so uh that's very interesting i mean i, I even had an experience a couple of weeks ago where i was rehearsing for something with a with a singer um and uh it was it, there, it was two singers that i was playing for for the thing but only one of them uh was there and they were each doing some arias and then they were doing the Papageno papagena duet yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, at the end you know obviously this is a baritone and a soprano mm-hmm. and um Uh, he still wanted to this was the baritone i was rehearsing with he still wanted to run the duet um easy to you know sing the wrong number of things in that thing so very
0: easy i have sung the wrong number of paws many many
1: times Yes, exactly we all have and and so we ran it and i just sang the cues that you needed right as you do um and we finished and he just said oh i didn't know you i didn't know you had those skills right (laughs) um And it was, I didn't know you did repping sort of thing. And it was just, it was such a normal thing for me to, to just sing Papagena because she wasn't in the room. Yeah. Um, But that, that since I was here in the accompanying program, which is really chamber music and song, he just assumed that I didn't have those, those skills that I wouldn't have done that. And that's really interesting to see how that works here. Right
0: that's just so cool it's so fun to see how this these other places other cultures have developed solutions to the same problems of music and i mean it's fun thinking about the ways that those impact the way we act and function as musicians
1: yeah so matthew oh sorry oh no no no. please go ahead um I, I, I one other thing that comes to mind about just the difference here um, with what I do is uh, that I've noticed is just the, the approach to language is a lot different mm-hmm. because and I think it's especially to Guildhall in particular is a very international place. I think there 30 or 40 percent of the students are not from the UK. Oh, wow. Um, so it's great fun because I'm getting to work with native German, mm-hmm. French, mm-hmm. Spanish um, speakers a lot singers um and all their coaches for languages are native speakers of the languages um and they're in general the students over here in europe have had a lot more training growing up in yes. language um so there is um less um there's there's more in immediacy in general to stuff going on in, in terms of the languages and they just are a lot stronger than with a lot of american singers yeah um so that's that's been really interesting and really fun especially as someone who likes to do a lot of song it's 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 so language centric that that's fun to get to do it with people who are actually french speakers like real French, you know Mm
2: -hmm. french
1: people right um uh I, i i it has been interesting though partly because they have access to people who are native speakers to coach them yes the kind of the technical foundations of the of the um, of the diction are uh, approached in a different way. I was about to say weaker I'm not sure if I'd say that but like things that are are you take for granted in an American situation like uh, like a very um, rigorous foundation in IPA I mean, yeah. And, and those sorts of extremely technical aspects of, of lyric diction, those tend not to be maybe as emphasized here because you just have a French speaker who's your French coach yes. and they say, no, 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 sing like this, you know, <laughs> and then they just say, say it in French and it's beautiful French cause that's their native language. And then you repeat and then you figure it out. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that approach is, is different, and it has its advantages. I, I have seen been in the coaching room sometimes where I've felt like – where I've seen that it has disadvantages as well. Um, but that has just been really fascinating to see and to be around.
0: Oh, I'm sure. D- different solutions to the same problems, right?
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah this has been so much fun thanks for yeah, taking the to. time
0: to chat with us i'm glad that after a couple of years we finally got to sit down and talk with you especially at such an exciting time in your life
1: yeah it's i'm i'm, I'm thrilled that you asked that we got to do this
0: so yeah me too so if people want to keep up with you and the work that you're doing and keep track of your adventures where can they find you on the intranet
1: um i mean they, they can find me i have a, the, I have a fairly low profile these days. <laughs> yes, I guess. You do. Uh, <laughs> uh i i need to be better at these things i mean i i i am on i am on the facebook mm-hmm. uh but i i don't tweet i hate twitter yeah twitter's dumb. And I and I, I'm I'm too old for Instagram I I disagree with you
0: I want <laughs> you to have an Instagram so bad that picture I took of you behind the piano at the recording session can be your profile pick okay, okay I just I want to see all the hipster coffee shops that you go to in London and I want pictures okay. of you high-fiving Julius Drake like just constantly that's really okay. what I want
1: I'll see what I could do so but I, <laughs> but I'm there if I if you if you look hard enough I'm I'm there so mm-hmm.
0: yeah. Well, this is just lovely. I'm so grateful that we had you. Um, And seriously, you're a wonderful human being. You're a great musician. And I'm so glad to call you my friend.
1: I'm glad to call you my friend too. Thank you, Matthew.
0: Thanks, Matthew.